Good morning. Let me invite you to take your Bible and go to Mark chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 18 through 22 this morning. Now what you just saw was, was a video uh, that was put together for Cooperative Program Sunday, which is today. Um, and the reason I wanted to show that uh, is because, because of your faithful giving, we, we are not having to make decisions right now that, that a lot of churches are, and that is, uh, do we continue giving to CP, to, to the cooperative program, or do we continue to pay our, our staff and uh, the, the other financial responsibilities that we have? There are many churches that are, uh, that are having to make that, that call right now, and I just want to, again, commend you for your faithful giving because we are not having to make those uh, decisions. We are we're going to meet our Annie Armstrong budget, um, our Annie Armstrong goal. We're, we're, we're continuing to meet budget which means we're continuing to uh, send 10% onto the cooperative program just like uh, we were before all this started. And so um, that, is, that is because of certainly the Lord's faithfulness to us and because of your faithful giving um, out of obedience to the Lord's uh, command that we be cheerful givers and we give out of the blessings that he's given to us. And so thank you for that. Mark 18, or Mark 2, verses 18 through 22. Uh, and again, let me, let me just say before we dive in this morning, if you weren't uh, with us during the announcement time, um, we're asking our church members to stay on just for a few minutes uh, at the end of our live stream. Uh, once the kind of the service concludes, uh, Bryson Thomas is here and, and is going to um, inform us about an offer that we received on uh, some of our property this last week. And so uh, certainly for First Baptist members, we, we want you to be on so you can be informed about it. And then we'll uh, let you know kind of the next steps that are coming this week as we, uh, as we consider as a church body what to do with this offer that, that we've received. Um, and also, let me, let me give a shout out to Kevin Brown, uh, who told us that he is playing bass uh, along with us at home this morning. And uh, so that's great. Even though we can't be together, our praise team is still, still playing uh, along. And, and I, just, I thought that was awesome. It made me smile yesterday when, when he told me that. So uh, Mark 2, verses 18 through 22. This morning, we're going to look at rigid religion versus responsive relationship. Right? So how, how do we respond in our relationship with God, and we're going to see uh, we're going to see examples of, of both of these things in our text this morning. Now, just to catch you up, last week we looked at the calling of Matthew, the tax collector, what we called the the scandal of grace. We saw God's uh, amazing grace that shone to undeserving sinners, and and how uh, shocking and off putting that was to, uh, to to folks who had a completely different view of, of God. And, and what we're going to see today is, is yet another confrontation with the religious leaders. And this is actually the third of five confrontations that we're going to see in chapters 2 and 3. The first one, beginning in chapter, at the beginning of chapter 2, was the healing of the paralytic. Uh, where the, you remember the four friends brought their paralyzed friend uh, to, the, to, to Jesus. And they couldn't get in the, in the house because the, the crowds were so big. And so they crawled up to the roof and, and tore a hole in the roof and lowered him down. And uh, the religious, and, and when, he, when he got down there, Jesus said, not, uh, son, get up and walk, but, but son, your sins are forgiven. That was scandalous. The, the religious leaders looked around and, and asked, who can forgive sins but God alone? So that was the first confrontation that, that Jesus had with the religious leaders. The second happened last week in the calling of, of Matthew and this this kind of incredulous statement that we saw from the religious leaders of he eats with tax collectors and sinners. 
How, how dare he? Because remember, the religious leaders kept themselves at a distance from, from those whom they considered sinners. And here Jesus was embracing. And today we're going to come to the third of those, and that is uh, this question, why, why don't you fast? We fast, but, and John and his disciples fast, but you and, you and your disciples don't, you seem like you're partying and having a good time, and we're just not sure that's appropriate for someone who claims to be a religious leader. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. And so let me invite you to take your Bible and in your living room or kitchen or dining room, wherever, and stand as we read the word of the Lord together. Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. This is what the word of the Lord says. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came and asked him, why do John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to him, the wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new patch pulls away from the old cloth and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost as well as the skins. No new wine is put into fresh wineskins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I pray as we look at this passage this morning, you would open our hearts and our minds to uh, to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Whether we are not yet believers or, or whether we've been believers for a long time, uh, whoever's watching this, I pray that, that you would open our, our hearts and our minds to see Jesus maybe in a, in a new light this morning as one who's come to do something new and who's come to make us new as well. We thank you for your word and we pray that you will speak powerfully through it today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, so rigid religion, religion versus responsive relationship. Are we, are we going to be people who uh, simply are, are legalistic and, and strict about rules and regulations, or are we going to be people that respond uh, in the way that, that the Lord would, would lead us, in the, the way that he, would, that he would touch us? And we're going to see what that would look like here. So the first thing we're going to see in in verses 18 through 20 is that Jesus came to bring joy. He came to bring joy. And this is the, the, these first two verses regarding fasting. This is the whole, this is the whole point. All right. Look look with me at, at verses 18 through 20. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And some people came and asked him, why do John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. Now, what we need to understand about about fasting in in these days in the Jewish first century culture um, were were that the the Pharisees really took the, the Old Testament laws and then they added their own rules and regulations on top of the law. Okay, now... I, I tend to try to give them the benefit of the doubt and that they're not trying to create a strict religious system, but, but that this came out of a place uh, of them, uh, their, their desire to live lives that were holy. And so they would look at the Old Testament and say, okay, the Old Testament says this, um, in, in order to ensure that we live this way, here are the things that we're going to do and here are the things that we're not going to do in order to keep this law. 
And, and yet what they did oftentimes is ended up uh, becoming much more concerned about their man-made rules and regulations than they did about what the, what the Old Testament actually said. Okay, for instance, here's, here, here's one, um, one example of that is right here when, when they talk about fasting. In the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, there is only one fast that is actually commanded, and that is uh, one day a year on the Day of Atonement. However, by the, by the time the first generation came along, and uh, the, the Pharisees would fast twice a week. They, they would fast on Mondays and Thursdays. If you remember Jesus' uh, story, the, the parable of the, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector. As the Pharisee is praying, he says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men or even like this, this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything that I have. So, so Pharisees would, would fast uh, on Mondays and on Thursdays. And apparently, what we learn here is that Jesus and his uh, disciples didn't fast. In fact, uh, some of the commentators that I read this week actually said that, that they believe that while Jesus and, and the disciples were feasting with Levi and other tax collectors and sinners, the, the religious leaders and even John the Baptist's disciples were fasting. Okay, So they're hungry and they're bitter when they see Jesus and his disciples partying and having a good time and, and they're, they're fasting and, and you know, feeling that, that hunger pain. They, they get angry and are wondering, why are you not keeping this the way that we are? Why are you not doing what we think we need to do? Now, one of the, one of the things we'd also see in the, in the first century is that apparently the, these Pharisees and scribes, as they fasted, they made it very obvious that they fasted. Again, if this was the way that they, um, that they uh, kind of showed their holiness by fasting twice a week, they made it very obvious. So they would kind of put on these, these shabby clothes. They, they might even like kind of put some, some uh, white or, or light-colored powder on their faces so they look pale, so that it's very obvious to other people, hey, I'm, I'm going without food. That's why um, Jesus will say when, when you fast, um, you know, dress yourself up, don't make it obvious, so that no one else knows, right? Because a fast is supposed to be something between you and, and God. It's not something that's done on the outside uh, for show. Um, but Jesus and his disciples clearly, right here, we're told they're not fasting. They're doing just the opposite. They're, they're apparently partying with, with tax collectors and sinners. And what on earth is happening? Well, Jesus says the reason that they're not fasting is because it wasn't appropriate for the time, and he uses this image of a wedding. The wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? See, weddings are, are a time to celebrate, right? Certainly in, uh, when, when we come and we celebrate two, two believers who are joining themselves in marriage for a lifetime, that's supposed to be a, a time of celebration and, and joy. And in the first century, uh, first century Jewish weddings were these lavish festivals that, that typically lasted for about a week, right? And, and so it was a big party, went on for a long time. And of course, we see Jesus' first miracle in John chapter 2 was performed at a wedding when he turned the water into wine. Now imagine showing up to a wedding, right, and being bitter or depressed. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, okay? Well, what I am saying is that the weddings are typically meant to be a time of joy and celebration. And what Jesus is doing is taking this idea of a wedding and he's, he's using that picture 
to describe what it's like for him to come and be with his people. It's a wedding celebration. The groom is here. That there will, and, and he says there will come a time, right? The time will come when the groom is taken away. This is Jesus' first prediction, at least in the book of Mark, about his death. And, and it's probably the first time his disciples have heard about this. In other words, he said that the time for mourning is going to come, but it's not now. Now is a time for joy. So it should remind us, I think, of Ecclesiastes 3, right? There is a time for everything. And Jesus is saying, right now, when I am with my disciples, when, when I am here on the earth, this is a time for joy. Okay, so if we're talking about fasting, then what, what do we do as, as believers? Are, are we commanded to fast? Well, again, Jesus, when, when, he, when he was giving that regular, that um, kind of that custom for, for what his followers should do, he said, when you fast. So, so it seems that Jesus assumes that we'll fast. But, it's, but it also seems that, that those are to be done for very specific times. Now, we can fast in times of sorrow. We can fast uh, because of sin in our own life. We can, we can fast as, um, as, a, as a way to seek God's face. So oftentimes you'll, you'll see calls to revival um, accompanied with a fast of some kind. Uh, where, we, where we seek to cry out to God. And, and by fasting, what we're certainly not trying to do is to force God into doing our will, but rather, uh, fasting is simply a, a way for us to be reminded of the importance of prayer. So that when I, when I feel that, that, that those kind of hunger pains start, rather than, rather than thinking, man, I'm, I, I can't have any food, what a drag that is, that, that's supposed to remind me uh, okay, I'm feeling the hunger pains. That's, supposed, that's a reminder that I, I need to go spend some time in prayer seeking God's face. Not to force him into my, into my will, but to align myself with his will. Okay? And so uh, there are all kinds of, of fasts that, that are, have been done. There's water fast, nothing but water, water and juice fast, where you can have like apple or orange juice or some other type of, of juice. Um, there, there's, there's total fasts. Um, I, I'm, I'm not... The point of this isn't really to, to, to focus on what you should and shouldn't do when you fast, but other than simply to say that, that when Jesus' disciple, Jesus and his disciples, he was not concerned with just keeping some religious, um, uh, some, some religious rules and regulations and checking off the, these, these check boxes. He was more concerned with bringing joy to the lives of his disciples and even showing the tax collectors and sinners, the character and the nature of God, that he, that, that he came to bring joy that they couldn't even imagine. That he came to spend time with, as we saw a couple weeks ago, those who, um, not, he didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So that's the first thing we see. Jesus came to bring joy. Not, not a joyless religious experience and this is important right because i was actually reading in some uh in, in some commentaries this this week and i came across a really interesting story um about a young man the the the, the guy writing the comment the commentary was a pastor and he said he encountered one man in his church who a uh, young man uh with a young family but but he was absolutely convinced that christians should be serious right that, that christians and so 
he, in his interpretation, he took that to mean that Christians don't smile. So, I mean, he said this guy would come in with his family. He was faithful giver, faithful attender, involved in Sunday school. But he said he would come into church and he would just have like this, this serious look on his face all the time. He said he never cracked a smile. Like he was just absolutely convinced that Christians should not be happy or shouldn't show that they're happy. In which case, I'm thankfully, I, obviously, I don't live that way. I, I can't. Um, and, and I don't see that here as, in, in the life of Jesus. We see, as I said, we see Jesus' first miracle at a wedding in Cana at this celebration. And, and it's in, in the grand scheme of things, pretty small what he does first. He didn't heal someone that was blind or, or, or have someone that was crippled and, and, and allow them to walk. He, what happens in, in John 2 is, is they come to Jesus and, and his mother Mary and they just say the wine's run out which would have been a disgrace on, on the family who was supposed to provide for all these people they were expecting for a week to come and, and celebrate the wedding, and suddenly the, the wine has run out. What are we going to do? And Jesus turns water into wine, a small thing. But he does that in order to keep the, the joy, keep the celebration of this wedding going. Isn't that, isn't that incredible that it's a, a small thing? Um, but Jesus' first miracle is in order to prolong the celebration of a wedding, an event that brings joy. I, I, I think, from, from my reading in Scripture, I think Jesus was, was a man of joy and someone who wanted to bring joy. So the Christian life, then, is not supposed to be just this, this somber, serious thing all the time. Certainly there are moments for us to mourn over sin. That There are moments where we need serious reflection on the weight of Christ coming to earth to, to die in our place. But we get to walk in this joy that we've been set free from the pain of sin and death. And that leads us right into the second point here in verses 21 and 22. And that is that Jesus came to make us new. Look with me at verse 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunk gar cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new patch pulls away from the old cloth and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost as well as the skins. No new wine is put into fresh wineskins. So Jesus uses two metaphors here to, to describe kind of what he's, what he's come to do. The first is, is putting in a, a new patch, an unshrunk patch, on an old garment. Now, if you've ever, uh, if you've ever tried that, what you're going to see is that when you wash it, the patch shrinks and tears away and probably makes that, that initial hole even worse. And in, in the first century, uh, they, they would store wine in animal skins. And what happened is they would use new skins that they were flexible. So the, as, they, as they put the wine in, as it fermented and it expanded, the new skins would, would expand with it. If they used old wine skins that were not flexible... As the wine fermented and expanded, it would burst the skins and ruin the wine. Okay? So, so what's, what's the point of all this? Well, I think what Jesus is getting at here is that he did not come just to put a fancy patch on old religious systems. He came to do something new. The, the way that, that he'll describe it is, I came to 
fulfill the law and the prophets. See, I didn't come to abolish them. I didn't come just to say, to, you know, do away with these things. He came to fulfill them in order that he might do something new. This is, uh, so, so Hebrews 10, uh, quoting the Old Testament, this is Hebrews 10, and this is what it says. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, the Lord says. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Here we see a picture of what God does in making us new. He says, I'm not going to write my laws on stone tablets anymore. I'm going to write it on their hearts and write them on their minds. And I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Um, speaking on, on this on the same passage um, in, in Mark chapter 2, Danny Aiken, who's the president of Southeastern Seminary in, in Wake Forest, North Carolina, says, says this. He said, Jesus didn't come to reform us, but to regenerate us. Not to improve us, but to make us new. See, see, Jesus didn't come to just make us healthier, right? He came to make us holy. He didn't come just to make us neater. He came to make us new. The point of the gospel is not that you need to come to Jesus uh, and repent of sin so that you can be a better person. The point of the gospel is we need to come to Jesus, repent of our sins so that he can make us a new creation. That's what we see in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away and see the new has come. So the message of the gospel isn't just that, that you can somehow be a better, more sanitized version of yourself. It's that Jesus will make you a completely new person. He'll give you a new heart. And this is where, even for those of us who've been believers for a long time, I think this is an important realization for us. That when, when we have people that, that come into our uh, worship gatherings who are not believers. The, the, the point of the gospel isn't that we just need to get them cleaner. We, we, need to, we need to have them act better. What, what, what they need is for Jesus to give them a new heart. To make them a new creation. You know, as we look at a, at a world that is as, as we've talked at length before, lost and going to hell. And here in our own state, we, we've said, statistically speaking, uh, around 90% of the people in New Mexico don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. One, one of the questions that I've had is, as I've kind of searched my own heart in responding to that, it's, is, um, do, do I really want Jesus to make new creations? Or do I just want people in our culture to act better? And I'll be honest, growing up in church, I think what I heard a lot of times was we just want the world to act a little less worldly. Right? So, so if Hollywood would just stop making, you know, movies that offend us, would we be okay with that? Whether or not the people who are involved in that industry know Jesus or not. If, if my neighbors are 
are loud and, and rowdy and having parties that go into the middle of the night and I can't sleep, do I want Jesus to save them or do I just want them to become better people and stop affecting my sleep patterns? If, if I'm honest, there's a whole lot more Pharisee in me than I care to admit, right? Where, where I'm like, look, if people would just act right, all will be well. And what that is, is, is exactly what the Pharisees were doing. Just, hey, listen, this, this is our religious box here. And, and as long as you're in that, we're comfortable. But when you start getting outside of that, we're going to be a little, uh, we don't really know what to do with you. And that's the difference in, in what I said at the beginning, this rigid religion, right? Of, hey, this, this is how, this, this is the box of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus versus a responsive relationship where I am consistently asking God to change my heart to line up with his. Now, certainly we have guidelines, right? We, we, have, we have 66 books of the guidelines of what it looks like to follow after, uh, to follow after Christ and, and to, be a, to, to be as, as um, some, some uh, native Indian tribes have, have said, be God followers is the way they describe that. We, we, we have some, some boundaries, but if, as you look at the life of Jesus, as we continue to look at them, he is, he is not concerned at all with fitting into our mold of what we look, believe it looks like to be a follower of Christ. The whole point of the gospel is not that you would be better, it's that you would be new. The old man has passed away. Behold, the new has come that we symbolize in baptism. So for believers this morning, I would just encourage you to do this. Search your own heart and see where you have those, those rigid religious expectations, right? And, and, you know, we've kind of joked before, but it's the, the old, uh, well, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with the girls that do. Versus, am I seeking to be renewed by the Holy Spirit into following Christ more and more closely? And am I pleading with the Lord to do the same thing? in the lives of others. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're watching this live stream and you're not yet a follower of Christ. Let me, let me, let me tell you this right, right off the bat. I have no interest in squeezing you into some religious box. What, I'm, what I plead with the Lord daily is he would give you a new heart. He would make you a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you're here and, and you've never trusted in Christ Jesus, I want to share with you how you can do that right now. I'm going to put a, some, some words up on the screen. There's no magic formula here. This is not uh, like magic, you know, holy pixie dust or whatever. Um, these are just some words to help you formulate uh, how, to, how to pray to God and ask him to, to, to be your savior. It's simply this, Lord Jesus, my life is broken. I realize it's because of my sin. I need you. I believe Christ came to live, die, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. Forgive me. I turn from my selfish ways and put my trust in you. I know that Jesus is Lord of all and I will follow him. Maybe you're watching this live stream. 
and you prayed that for the first time. If you're on watching us on Facebook, you can send us a message right there through, through our Facebook page. You just say, hey, I, I prayed that, or I need to know a little bit more about what it means to follow Jesus. If you're watching on our website, there is a form directly below the live stream box that, that you can fill out, and, uh, and there's some check boxes there that you can check, or there's even just kind of a, a place for prayer requests or notes, and you can just put on there, hey, um, I, I have some questions about what it means to follow Jesus. Um, I, w- I want to know more. And you fill that out. That goes directly to my email, and I'll, I'll be in touch. Uh, if you fill that out I'll be, about that, I'll be in touch this afternoon, um, saying, hey, I want to I visit with you about what that looks like. Today, you can be made new. You can trust in Jesus. Have him forgive your sins and be your Savior. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for the chance to gather together and to, um, to worship even in, these, even in these days of social distancing and um, stay-at-home orders and quarantine and when we can't gather together in the same room. We pray certainly that those days would come quickly to an end, but I thank you for the way you're moving in your church even now and for the way the gospel is being proclaimed around the world through churches with five members and churches with 5,000 members. I just pray that you're touching lives and and changing hearts in ways we may not even see for years. That we'd look back at this time and say, look at what the Lord did in the middle of a pandemic. For those watching this morning who have been followers, followed you for a long time, but who who still wrestle with with that rigid religion of, I have to check the boxes would you free us from that and realize this freedom that we have in Christ? Not freedom to sin, but we have freedom from sin. Would you renew our hearts? And for those watching that have not yet trusted in Christ, may today be the day that you grab their attention. Show them your great love for them. The great links that you went to show that love sending Christ Jesus to earth. Pray you would move men, women, and children from death to life today. In a way that only you can through the power of the cross. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.